Welcome in to another edition of The Sick Pod with Draft Vogel. I'm John Vogel, your host, Mark Jarvis, waiting in the wings, and Shane back in the studio as always. I have a little bit of a discussion here. Uh, as you guys know, we've had Mark on. You know, Before he was an, a, an official co-host of the show, he would come on and we would talk really nerdy stuff. And we like to continue that tradition. So without any further ado, Shane, back in the studio, send us in. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast, with Draft Vogel. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the first pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, with the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the sickest NFL Draft show, it's gonna be sick. And, of course, the sickest podcast on the planet has to be brought to you by DraftKings. Cool. College football fans, the championship is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook is making sure you can throw down on the epic showdown for a shot at big bucks. New customers can score $150 instantly in bonus bets for betting $5 on the championship game. Download the app now and use the code SICKSPORTS. New customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just 5 bucks on college football. That's Michigan and Washington, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code SICKSPORTS. The crown is yours. So without any further ado, Mark Jarvis now joins us. And uh, Mark, it's another lovely episode. It's another lovely day. I believe the championship will be tonight. Does that excite you? Yes. I know I probably don't think too excited about it, but hey, it's a uh, it's a Big Ten championship. It's a Big Ten championship <laughs> match, so um, you know it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a what fun a story one. that would be if the Pac-12 dissolves and as they're on their way out, they have an undefeated team go and run the table yeah, and just. I really think. Look, here's my hot take. I think they're gonna beat Michigan. Really? I really do. I really do. They've been they've been the underdog in the last two matches that they've had by almost double digits, and they've won both games outright. I mean, there's several games throughout the season they were underdogs as well. They just seem to find a way to win. I don't think Michigan's played seen a quarterback like who they, they're about to face in Michael Penix. And I don't know, man. It's just a gut feeling. It's like Washington's going to do it. Here's a really interesting topic, too, and I don't know if we'll get into this later on if we have time to talk about betting stuff, but I will throw in the aspect of that they've been big underdogs. It's interesting to see how a market like that would react to it, right? Because, like, you're an underdog twice against Oregon. Oregon was favored by, like, 70% to win their second matchup, even after Washington already beat them. They're an underdog to Texas, so on and so forth. At what point, after they keep winning and winning and winning, does the market properly adjust to that? Is it that they just got lucky? Like, you know, let's say you treat it probabilistically. Let's say they've got a 30% chance to beat um, Oregon. Mm -hmm. Okay, you take that and say, let's say they've got a 30% chance to beat Texas. Um, you know, 30 times 30. I don't know off the top of my head what that would be. I think it's like 9% chance. Yeah. Yeah, so 9% nine, nine, nine chance, right, um, to beat uh, to beat both those teams and be in their situation. Is that an accurate – if you replayed the tape over and over again, let's say you played it 100 times – are they here nine times or are they here less or are they here more? You know what I'm saying? So how accurately did the market price that? I think it's an interesting topic, um, probably a little bit outside of the scope of what we're going to discuss today, maybe. But uh, it's it's a fun topic, though, to kind of wonder, hey, what would have happened if we replayed it over and over again? And the topic that we've got 
lined up here is complex versus simple systems. And so, so the funny thing is a lot of times when we wrap up recording, um, just to the viewers back that listen to this or watch this on YouTube, wherever you're listening, um, Jarvis and I, we, we spend a lot of time talking usually after we're done recording and you, I believe that one of the first episodes that we did where you came on, we were talking for like an hour and a half, maybe even two hours on the phone afterwards. And you explained this concept that night about simple versus complex systems. And so without that, with that being said, what is the, what, what is the definition that we're trying to, to, to set with complex versus simple systems? So I think the first thing you have to ask is like, why does it matter, right? And so like, I'll, I'll ping this back to you and then we can cover what a complex versus simple system is. But why, when I explained it to you and we talked about it, why did you like go, mm -hmm, okay, that's interesting. Why does that matter for scouting? Yeah, because, because scouting is a complex system in the way that you described it, which we'll, we'll define. But scouting, because there's, there's so many factors that we can't bring into, you know, we can't possibly simulate with this process, with scouting, with projecting players forward because of all those different things. I think that it matters because it helps you with your perspective, opening your mind and, and seeing all the different possibilities to where a player could go. Because that's, that's one of the big things about projection. We talk about sometimes players on here, you know, earlier this week talked about Cam Ward and how wide his projection range is. You know, he, he could be, we wouldn't be surprised if he's early day two pick. Also wouldn't be surprised if he's a seventh round high priority free agent, you know, just depending on how the process goes because of these unlimited number of factors that combine together to create the result. So that's why it matters because it, it's something that helps you with perspective when you're scouting and you're projecting forward um, exactly what you're, what you're hoping to accomplish. Gotcha. So I, I will note, just so you see this, John, I know I'm throwing my notes in here to the side, so I, I don't ramble on this, but so to explain complex or simple systems. So a simple system you could think of, for example, let's say I drop a ball, right? I just pick up a ball and I drop it like that. Um, what all goes into what happens to that ball? Are there a lot of different variables into it? Not really. It's mostly just gravity pulls it at a certain rate of speed, so on and so forth. You, you can predict that relatively easy. If I throw a ball at you, you know, it's there's a lot going on internally for you to process that and catch it, but it's predictable to an extent where the ball is not just going to suddenly start going all over the place and uh, all that sort of stuff. Another example, obviously, a much more complex, uh, is, or not complex, but complicated one, would be like rocket science, right? So when you think about, okay, how do we get a rocket from Earth all the way to, let's say, the moon or to Mars or so on and so forth? That's a complicated thing to figure out. It takes a lot of very, very advanced mathematical methods. It's very, very difficult to calculate. That's why they get paid the big bucks. That's why people say, hey, it's not rocket science. And because rocket science, if you were to sit there and try to calculate all these equations and figure these things out, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. Um, but at the same time, there is fewer variables than you would look at, let's say, like a market or something like that. If you think about it like, okay, I'm going to send this rocket traveling through space. Think of it like I, the ball I dropped, right? I go sending this rocket through space. What's in space to change the path of the rocket? You know, what, is there that much going on that these variables that could affect the path of it? Um, so it's it's more obviously more difficult than just dropping a ball and predicting where it's going to go. But it's not something like trying to predict the movements of a stock market or something like that. Or how things are going to interact within like an ecosystem of let's say you have a uh, an ecosystem where you you introduce a new population of animals what's going to happen 
they're going to have these small independent interactions with each different species, with all the different vegetation, so on and so forth. Uh, as you go each step into that and kind of try to figure out, okay, what's going to happen next, um, you reach a point where it's kind of basically you can't calculate it, right? Like you just cannot predict the number of variables that are going to impact that and what's ultimately going to happen. And so I think uh, looking at scouting from that standpoint, you could view it like, okay, let's say we look at a fr uh, front office and we're going to try to figure out how they're going to value a player. Well, you have the area scouts grade that's going to come in. You may have had some effect from an NFS or Blester grade, depending on, okay, if a guy get a high or low grade, that's going to change where he ends up being prioritized. If national scouts going to go through there, so on and so forth, the number of cross checks that he's going to get, um, you're going to have, um, you know, the college scouting director is going to look at him. National scouts going to look at him. You'll have cross checks. You might have different looks in all-star game. Coaches are going to see him. James are going to see him. What happens when all of those guys come together and they input their own opinions and then you try to produce a, in, a new outcome out of that, right? It's, it's not as simple as just saying, okay, we're just going to take the average and that's that, you know, there's different uh, mechanics within each room. Some, some rooms you're going to have much more of a, Hey, we're going to listen to everybody and try to get a real feel of what the whole room has. Not, I hate the word consensus, but building that form of consensus. And you'll have some rooms where an owner or a GM walks in and says, I want that guy. I saw him at the senior ball. I liked him. I want that guy. That's it. And, and as you add in all those different variables, it makes it hard to predict. And I think, even to, to translate that over to how a player performs, you look at a player, let's say, coming from a college offense. They have all these certain guys around them. They play in a certain scheme. You try to take that and put him in a new system, what's going to happen? There's a lot of variables from the locker room to his medical that is unpredictable um, to just the way he's going to adjust once he gets money in his hands. So um, I think, you know, obviously you compare that to a simple system. It's, it's a lot more variables involved in that, uh, trying to forecast what's going to happen from that versus trying to just perform some mathematical equation to determine the trajectory of a rocket, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the first example that you brought up of, you know, of a complex system being a front office, that's just one aspect of the complex system of scouting, right? Where you have there, the other factors that you start to kick in, you mentioned performance. That's one factor. Um, scheme. That's another factor. Uh, the support group that's around the player, you know, picking how involved is the dad. Nobody, no, very few front offices are okay with a helicopter parent, right? We've seen that happen several times before. Um, the way that the player interviews, the way that the player performs at the combine, the testing numbers, you know, uh, then go the pro day on top of that. It all, there's the, the factors that come in are so numerous and the number of, different things that could that could impact where a player is going to go and that's not even talking about just the, even the market complex right that the nfl draft is it's a market you know and it's completely based on demand where how how much interest is built on said player how far can we go without drafting him and still get him is kind of the question you know so you have that that's a whole nother aspect you might have a guy that has a second round grade you know, with this team, but they know that they can get him in the third or fourth because nobody else really sees him like that. So they're going to wait to take him because they can go get another player that somebody else values higher, you know? So um, the number of variables in scouting and projecting a player forward is really infinite to a certain extent, you know, it, very, uh, damn near close to infinite. Yeah, here's here's a quote I pulled up, and I love this from Richard Feynman, who was a, a Nobel Prize winning physicist. And he said, imagine how much harder physics would be if electrons had feelings. 
right? <laughs> so you can take that and apply it for many of those, you know, hard sciences where, you know, you try to use these different models to project what's going to happen. It's much harder to predict what's going to happen, for instance, the economy, where the economy is built up of all these small individual little inputs. You have people, you know, you have, you have a Main Street guy who's going to try to invest and save. You've got hedge funds who are a part of the mix. You've got so many different inputs. And one little thing can change and have a massive effect on everything else in the system. That's something that's mm -hmm. much harder to predict than, let's say, what's going to happen when you're looking at something, you know, a basic physics or something like that. Um, and so I think when we look at it from the scouting perspective, I think it poses this interesting question of how much in scouting is predictable, right? So let's use an example of trying to predict where a guy's going to go in the draft. I'll use the Jane Daniels one because that's the one that's been on my mind nonstop since we've had that conversation with the game and I made that bet and all that sort of stuff how much skill is involved in me predicting that Jane Daniels is going to have the rise that he has had to this degree. Obviously there's still a lot of time to go and how much is luck, right? Like what, to what degree is it? I couldn't have known when I made that bet with Gam that he was going to win the Heisman. He had played Bam and he played a couple other teams and he looked good doing it, but there was a lot of, there was games to go. He could have gotten hurt. He could have had two back-to-back -back blowout losses that would have been out of his control you know, maybe if all of his teammates all had bad games or the other teams played the game of their lives, so on and so forth. Um, looking forward, there's going to be impacts that affect his pre-draft process, right? Like, I don't know how he's going to interview. I don't know how he's going to test. Uh, you know, I don't know if late in the process there's going to be something medical pop up. There's just so many variables that are at play that trying to make a prediction on that is a lot different from trying to predict, again, go back to the rock example, rocket flying through space you know it, it's so i i think it's interesting to view from that standpoint of obviously a lot of people like to say oh you know scouting is a lot of people like to say it's it's random it's 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 luck right and it's not really that because you can you could prove that it's not based on this um test and this this test is basically can you lose on purpose right so can i go and play the lottery and can i lose on purpose no can i go to a roulette table and say i ah, give me black and I have no control over that. So it's not random. It's not, you know, out of our control entirely. Uh, but at the same time, it's um, it's something that you do see a very hard time trying to figure out, you know, how do you make consistently accurate predictive outcomes? There, Because there, there is no consistently accurate outcome, <laughs> right? I mean, you could sit there and say, I mean, you got a guy like Trevor Lawrence, right? A few years ago in that draft class where – you know, I, I was asked this question, uh, not on the podcast or anything, but, you know, by a friend. It's like, okay, well, who's the highest quarterback you've ever graded? Well, for me, personally, it's Trevor Lawrence. He's had the highest grade I've ever given to anybody. And because when you watched him in college and you saw the skill set that he had, the potential that he still had with it, he was a damn near perfect prospect. In, at least in my opinion. He had a, I think he was 11 points shy on my grading chart of being a perfect prospect. You know, because he his medicals were clean. He's a great interviewer. You weren't worried about that, any of that in locker room fitting in. Great arm, athlete, accurate with the football. He's just a really great prospect in so many different regards. So with a guy like that, you can sit there and reasonably say, as we did that entire process, he's number one overall draft pick and there's really nobody that's close to him. You know, so that's something that's somewhat predictable. Now, I still could have gotten hurt. Right. That would have thrown that off. But also, I think the other thing is uh, when you start talking about all these different variables that, you know, we've been t that, go that go into this system, there's no way to, to accurately predict a way, you know, to project a guy 
into someplace and do it perfectly all the time. And that's like, since on this podcast, we, I'd like to share all the things that I've learned scouting. And I like to try to open perspective to other people that are trying to do it as well and present these different ideas and different things like that. That's why it's important, right? Because perspective and understanding all the different ways that these, you know, teams think, people think, decision-making goes, market, outcomes, medicals, talent, all that. It all factors into the same sort of idea that you have to have this open range when you're talking about, you know, projecting there. It's not like you can say, Oh, this guy's a third round pick. Oh, this guy's a second round. He's a fifth round pick. No, there's a range just based on all those numeral prospects. And that's, that's how you're going to become more accurate with your projection is by opening that range. And I don't think there's any shame in that. Yeah. So you could look at it like, what's the, like, let's say you want to do Vegas percentage and I'll just use instead of like American odds, I'll just use a, a, a percentage of just, uh, I mean, just to simplify it. Let's say what, what are the odds that let's say Jane Daniels goes 15th overall. Is it 0.1%? Is it 1%? Is it 10%? It's not a hundred percent. We know that. Right. And so when you look at it from that perspective, if you say this guy's the 15th overall pick, he's the 15th best player for sure. You're going to have a very low hit rate, but if you open that range up and say, Hey, he's going to be a first rounder. Okay, what are the odds of him being a first rounder? 80%, 90%. So your hit rate's going to prove. Obviously, he's going to be a draft pick. He's going to be, you know, in the NFL. Okay, now you're getting to 99%. Like, okay, you'd have to, you know, tear something or commit crime to, to fall out of that. <laughs> um, and so if you're going to sit there and compare your rankings to someone else's and say, oh, well, I had him in the first round and he went in the third, was I right or wrong? Well, there's a lot of ways you can view that. There's a lot of ways that you can try to figure out, okay, what, what was the proper hit rate? With something as, as difficult as trying to predict a draft slot or based on that, extrapolate to how a guy's um, post-draft outcome is going to go, it's it's hard, right? You need a very large sample size of guys you've studied over the years to know, did they have success or failure? You know, you can't know in advance where they're going to go. I think one interesting example of the, the complexity of it would be, um, like, for instance, Sean Clifford going 149 overall. Right. So Sean Clifford, you know, 6'1", 210, somewhere in that ballpark, had a pretty average uh, career overall throughout his you know, time at Penn State, you know, put up a lot of numbers, um, you know, was a very decorated passer in that regard. But as a prospect, he was very, very, very lowly viewed uh, for the most part. So he ended up going to the NFL PA Bowl, I believe. And then he went to the Shrine and he had a good pre-draft process, ran like four sixes, jumped well, all that sort of stuff. But I don't think anyone expected him to go 149 overall to the Packers. That was one of the biggest shockers of the entire draft. Mm -hmm. How do you get to that outcome, right? So first you have to take, okay, what happened internally with the Packers? What information did they have that made them believe, okay, we view them that way? Was it the visit? Was it their scout grades? Did they just have a much higher grade by their team than anyone else in the NFL? Um, what happened, happened to happen in front of them to make him fall to 149, right? Let's say the picks go off slightly different. Does a team ahead of them jump in and take him? Or let's say they have a couple players fall to them that they'd like more than Clifford. They don't take him at 149. How far does he fall? It's it's something that, you know, you can't predict what's going to happen 148 picks in a row. So how are you going to know that Clifford at 149 is going to be the pick? Or even that, let's say you, you kind of extrapolate that a little bit and say, okay, he goes and what was that, the, the fourth round or the fifth round? I think it was the, the early, mid, fifth. And so it's like, okay, you have four rounds of stuff going on in front of him that is unpredictable in advance. How are you going to predict that he's going to be a fifth round pick? It's, it's hard to know. Um, 
I don't know if you have anything you want to add on to that, but I just think it, that's a great example if you can see the the complexity of trying to make a prediction in that type of environment. Yeah, no, that's <clears throat> the the level of complexity that you just had to describe to to get into that. Just to think of 148 picks and 149, you got a guy that nobody was really. I don't think anybody was really <laughs> expecting Sean Clifford to even get drafted, right? It would have been late round for the most part. I think most people thought he was going to be seventh, maybe PFA. I thought he was a. I thought, I thought he was, he was a, a PFA. Yeah, I thought he, that's where I, exactly where I had him. But that's kind of the other thing about it, right? You've got you've got some teams that are going to take a guy that they have a high priority free agent grade on. Once they kind of get through their draftable grades, right? Because they have the need, they need to fill that whatever. That's a whole other aspect of the complex system, right? Where we don't know what their draft board looks like. We don't know how many guys they had on it. We also don't know how many guys were taken off of it. You know, by that point, that by the time they got to 149, you know, and what was the grade that they had on Clifford? Did they think he was a fifth round guy? Did they think he was a fourth round guy? Did they think he's third? They did they have did they have him way up there? And they just you know they were like, yeah. oh, he's here in the fifth round. Let's pull the trigger. Let's get him. Well, and how much does it depend on who else they have in the quarterback room? Right. What was yeah. what was the quarterback rankings look like? How high was he? Was he over all these other guys that went in that fourth round range? And then not just them, but what's every other team got? It's not just the one team's board and they take him and say, oh, cool, we got him where we liked him. It's every single team, all 32, is going to have an impact on how that board comes off. And you to try to reduce that in any way is to kind of miss the broader difficulty of the system, right? Like there's an example um, – a great example from that book that I mentioned um, to you and read a passage for, uh, from that, uh, Everything is Obvious by Duncan Watts. And it was essentially the idea if you were trying to predict, let's say, a riot, right? Like what happens in a riot? And they use this model of um, essentially a tipping point of let's say that uh, to have – let's say you have 50 people in this in this riot, so to speak. For the first person to riot, they just kind of do it on their own. For the second person to riot, they have to have someone else rioting. For the third person, so on and so forth, trickle on down the line. So let's say you 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 have that go on where a riot occurs. They have the domino effect of each one. Okay, this person's you know 47, 46 people are rioting. They join in. Um, you would look at that from the outside perspective and say, okay, it's a riot. But if you change one little input in there, let's say you take away one domino, what happens? The rest of the dominoes don't fall. Let's say the second person needed two people to riot to join in. They don't have that. What's going to happen? It's not going to be right. It's going to be one person looking like an ass and then nobody else is going to jail. Yeah. Yeah. And so you look at that and you would on the macro level, you go, okay, it's a riot and it's not a riot, but it's made up of all these little individual pieces that have their own impacts. And that creates these broader system level outcomes that aren't necessarily, you could try to define it with a broader model, but it misses the underlying uh, kind of macro micro problem that you run into with a lot of these complex systems. Um, a thing I would throw out there as well as, and and I know we're probably running uh, short on time here, is this idea of, again, going back to how do we predict in these systems, right? What do we need to be able to do that? Um, there's a lot of interesting work between a guy named Daniel Kahneman. I probably, I think I mentioned him on the biases. Um, but fast he, and slow, right? Yeah, thinking yep. fast and slow. Yep. And he kind of had a, an intellectual rival named uh, Gary Klein, who was very much more into the wonders of human intuition. And so human intuition is wonderful. It allows us to do a lot of things. If you're driving and a deer runs out in front of you, you can hit the brake. You know, there, there's a lot of great things in terms of our intuition, but there's also limitations, right? And so how do you balance that? And then how do you balance that given the system? 
you look at, for instance, um, you know, for, for Kahneman, he was very hard on, for instance, stock market analysts and people that try to predict complex systems like the stock market because the economy is it's the ultimate complex system. You know, it's for everyone from, you know, some, you know, um, sh uh, shrimp collector and, you know, and, and I don't know where shrimp get collected, but let's just say Gulf of Mexico. I don't know where shrimp come from um, versus, you know, some guy chopping wood out in Washington working for a lumber company. All these things come together, right, um, to, to affect how you, you view a market. And so if you go into that market and you say, okay, I'm going to take my own little human intuition. I say, okay, this, I'm going to buy this stock because I like it, because I think it's going to go up. How can you predict what's all the little pieces that are going to go into that? And how can you have consistent, repeatable, predictable feedback? Because feedback is what allows us to, um, to learn from things and to improve our processes, right? Like feedback is how I know if I'm playing uh, chess against you and I move a piece and you take that piece, the feedback is, hey, you probably shouldn't have moved that piece where you moved it, right? Um, so or it could be feedback of if I'm – Or it could just be I'm just an aggressive <laughs> and I'm just taking pieces because I, I, I'm trying to mess with you. I'll give you another example here. I'm driving my car. I drive my car into a wall. What's the feedback? If you drive uh, your car into that. a wall, it's going to hurt, right? And so you learn very quickly. I mean, this is like I have a one-year-old daughter. She learns very quickly if she does something that's going to hurt her. Okay, I probably shouldn't do that again. Let me just yep. fall down on my face. Okay, let me not do that. That's bad feedback, right? Um, but what happened if you were to try to do that and you fall and half the time you fall, it doesn't hurt you and you don't actually hit the ground? Right. You're getting mixed signals. You're going to you're not getting a predictable signal. The predictable signal is every time I fall, I'm going to hit the ground. Then I learned very quickly that, OK, if I fall, I'm going to hit the ground. The stock market doesn't necessarily move that way. Right. Like you can make a, a, a bet on two tech companies and one works and one doesn't. And all of the other conditions seem the same to you. But based on those little inputs that cause them to have different outcomes, you're getting mixed feedback. It's harder to predict it versus, for instance, Kahneman's opposite and Gary Klein that kind of pushes this naturalistic decision making this human intuition aspect you look at how his work focuses on like for instance uh firefighters okay what signals does a firefighter get when they go into a burning house and they're trying to figure out okay where do i have to fight this fire at what do i need to do um what what things can i pick up on so there's a great story from gary klein in regards to expert intuition and it's this uh firefighter captain and um, all, all of the people that he was working with go into this house and they're fighting this fire and they go into the kitchen. They're fighting this fire and it just won't go down. Right. Like it just is refusing to go down. They're doing everything they can. But something's off. And this firefighter, for whatever reason, goes, I'm getting weird vibes here. I'm going to pull all my guys out. So they pull everyone out of the building. The building collapses. And he attributed to just he's got this extra sense. Right. Like he just got this ability that nobody else has. What it turned out to be was that the signals that he got in that fire were different than what he normally got, right? So it was colder than normal. Usually you're up on a you're up on a uh, on a fire. It's real real hot, and so it was kind of just it wasn't you know it didn't feel right in terms of the temperature. It was quieter than normal. Why is it quieter than normal? Usually we, when you're up on a fire, it's really loud. It's very it's hard to hear. It's you know overwhelming, and it was kind of quiet and just things were going weird with it where the fire wasn't going back. Usually if we fight this fire and we do certain things, it's going to react a certain way. Well, it didn't react that way. What happened? The fire was in the basement. And so the kitchen wasn't the actual fire they should have been fighting. They should have been fighting the fire from below. And so he realized, okay, the signals that I get, the feedback that I get normally fighting this fire are different here. Something's up. Let me react accordingly to that. And so he had an opportunity to learn those signals, to receive that feedback, and then to make adjustments. If I look at scouting from that lens, can I receive the, that type of feedback in scouting? Absolutely. You know, if I say, yeah. well, 
hold on there because it's like, okay, let's say I, I fall in love with always drafting the athlete. I always fall in love with the 6'4", 240, you know, 4'4", speed QB, the Anthony Richardson type, and that's my guy. Let's say I pick him. What happens? Is it guaranteed that he's going to be successful? Maybe he gets hurt. Maybe he has some other stuff going on with it. Maybe he lands in the wrong situation. And so I get feedback one way where, okay, maybe it's negative. I adjust and I beat up the next guy to come through. And I'm like, eh, I'm not, I've had trouble with these guys in the past. I don't like this type of player. Well, then it turns out it's like a Josh Allen, obviously not that fast, but it turns out it's a Josh Allen, right? And so you're getting mixed signals. You're getting mixed feedback because the complex system makes it difficult to get that feedback and make those adjustments in a way that if you looked at something simple like a chessboard or fighting a, uh, a fire in a house, would you know it's it's in, it's an easier problem to solve it's more consistent in terms of what you're what you're getting out of it does that make sense yeah no but i was going to point out the fact that you know you can tell when things are off sometimes right like reports coming back it's things coming back you know where normally you have this type of player and he's up here right mm-hmm. think of um well baker mayfield perfect example yeah. that's a player that sometimes we don't we don't look at that type of a player and think yeah first overall pick right Mm -hmm. but the the signals that were coming back to me when i was watching him was okay leadership right i'm not saying that he's a great leader now but i'm just saying that this would look like oklahoma looked like he was really good in the locker room he had command over his team he's running this offense was doing it really well blah, blah blah and so the signals that were coming to me was that in this case the fire was hot right Mm -hmm. the fire was hot people were liking him he had a really good senior bowl and so I projected him forward as first overall pick, I think, well before anybody else did. Like, yeah, Cleveland's going to like this guy, blah, blah, because I'm looking at the signals that are coming to me and saying and making my adjustments to that. A couple of years later, we got a guy that comes in at almost identical skill set, Sam Howell. Same size, same skill set, same type of talent, same you know, tools, same way that they play the game. And we're not talking about him being a first overall pick. We're talking about him being third, fourth, he ends up going fifth. Mm-hmm. And so the signs that I'm taught that I was taking from your firefighter story and the analogy, <coughs> you can take some of that information and be able to apply it in scouting, right? And look at the signs and look at what's different in this situation. Okay. People aren't talking about him as much. Maybe there's a little bit of, maybe there's a leadership concern. He's a junior coming out of college, blah, blah, blah. There's all these different factors that were different. And so I was able to adjust my grade accordingly, right? Based on, okay, he's not the first overall pick. It wasn't because, Oh, Baker Mayfield wasn't the player that I thought he was coming out of college and that made me project the first overall pick. It's not that. It's just that looking at the signs and the things that are around you, the NFL draft is a fire in a sense. And you can pick up on the signs that these teams, that the reports, analysts, that the tape is telling you and perceive, okay, pull in, put in, we, we got this, we're going to put it out, we're going to figure this out, or something's off, get out, jump off the board, jump off the train. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Well, that's, that's, I mean, we discussed this recently, like Cam Ward to the Shrine Bowl, right? What's that sign? What's that telling me? You know, and, and you, you have those certain clues of intuition that you build up over time. If I see a guy's going to the Shrine Bowl instead of the Senior Bowl, I have a gut reaction to that of, okay, something's up. And what I know based on that is like, okay, I can trace that back to the Senior Bowls talking to these teams. They have, you know, they're, the teams largely help build their board and figure out who to invite. And as a result, when a guy gets a Senior Bowl invite, okay, I know, okay, this, these are the inputs. This is what's likely going on. You know, and then, you know, you could look at even like a Jane Daniels, for instance, of Daniels had, uh, you know, he has reached this point where he threw for what, 40 touchdowns, four picks, 70 something percent, 
you know, and he he ran for over a thousand yards. Like he tore it up in the SEC. If you look back historically, what are the odds of that guy, you know, who has that type of resume going really, really high? Right. And so if you look at it at that point and go, okay, well, people have him in the third, it's like, okay, which is more likely that my intuition that I build up based on these signals is wrong or that the market is not adjusted accordingly, right? That they've not made that move yet. Um, the three conditions for expertise, according to Kahneman. So here's here's where it works, right? You, you need these three things for your intuition to work. One, you have to have a, an element of regularity, right? You can't have just randomness in the system that's going to throw it off. You know, if I look at a chessboard, for instance, pieces move a certain way. If I take a pawn and move it, it's going to always move the same ways. And so if you take me from that and put me in an environment where things don't always move the same, where things are all over the place, then I'm going to have a harder time making predictions that's going to take away from my expertise. Number two is you need lots of practice. And so you need to be able to readily and consistently hone that. And over the years, you'll develop abilities to, okay, like for instance, chess. How does the chess master get good? They play a lot of chess. They learn what works and they don't. And they gradually over the time, they incorporate all those new different pieces into their expertise. And then third would be immediate feedback. And this is what gets tricky with scouting in particular, I think, is immediate feedback is like with scouting, it's hard to get that, right? You could go back and say, okay, let me watch, you know, a guy from 2014 and write a report and then see how he translated and how he performed over his career. But if I write a guy right now and I try to predict what's going to happen, I'm going to have a hard time knowing what's going to happen three years from now, right? He could get injured. He could land on a bad team. He could land in a bad situation. He might have a head coach who just doesn't like him. There's a lot of things that can go wrong to ruin that immediate feedback. And so if I make a prediction now and I look forward, I won't know if it's good for three years. And then even when it does resolve, let's say I failed or I succeeded, I don't know what all went into that to cause that outcome. If I move my chess piece and you take it, I know exactly what happened in that outcome. It was bang, bang. I saw it right there. If I'm making a prediction on how does Anthony Richardson's career play out, and I let's say I call him a second rounder, and three years from now we're wondering, okay, was he a hit or a miss? You know, I, I, There's a lot more that goes into that type of thing. Um, to, to trade the result. And yeah. so this is also part of why, like, I love to use the example of like, I'll look at almost where do I expect the guy to go? Because it's kind of like you could do it from the lens of like a betting market, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about Washington, right? Washington, they're in the championship game. If you took betting odds, you would say they had about a 9% chance to beat both Oregon and to beat uh, Texas to get there, you know? So if I were to look at a market, for instance, and I say, okay, what, what, for example, I'm trying to pick where a guy's going to go in the draft. What, why does that matter? Because I get the feedback of where he went based on all the, what the teams thought at that time. Now, obviously you get hit like weird outcomes, like Sean Clifford goes 149 when he's not expected. But if I look at these teams and I say, okay, where guys go for the most part is an indicative of what they all thought. I have an idea of essentially immediate feedback. If I say, as an example, to pull one out where I was really, really wrong, a guy, I thought Kurt Benkert was like a great QB. I thought he'd be a you know, first-round guy. Okay, he goes undrafted. What does that tell me? The immediate feedback is that the teams did not view him that way. The market did not view him that way. Um, so even if he goes on – I'll give you another example of this. Brock Purdy, right? Brock Purdy goes in the seventh round. Was it a good pick? Was it a bad pick? Based on what's happened, you'd say it's a good pick. But based on what teams knew at the time, he probably went where he should have. Because that's what the market knew at the time. Maybe he's evolved since then. Maybe he's progressed. But based on what everyone knew at the time, you got the immediate feedback of if you had a first-round pick on Brock Purdy, in my opinion, you were wrong. Because if he really was worth that first-round pick at that time, somebody would, have done would have had, somebody would have done it. So why, did, why didn't anyone do it? You know, Was the market that wrong on him? Was he different with the 49ers than he was in Iowa State? 
you know, what, what caused that to happen? Because you could say, oh, yeah, I had Purdy in the first. Awesome. If, if he was really that good at that point in time, based on the information that people had, why did nobody take him there? Um, and the immediate feedback that you get is not great in terms of if you would have had that uh, first round on, on Purdy. Yeah. No, that's it. That's it. But, yeah, Jarvis, we're about out of time on this one. So our nerd conversation uh, <laughs> comes to a close. But uh, I'm sure Shane is probably about ready to call it a wrap tonight. Uh, he's probably looking to go to bed up there. Sorry to keep you so long, Shane. But, um, yeah, this has been the, the sick podcast of Draft Vogel. I uh, hope that uh, Jarvis here and myself have brought some perspective to your life because if there's one thing most people could take away from me, I think it's that I love perspective um, and getting different perspectives and combining all those perspectives to come up with some sort of opinion. Um, and so I hope that that's something that we're able to pass on to you guys back at home. So Jarvis, you got anything before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I was just going to say, if you have any questions or anything you throw out there, like I can make it quick. I know we're running out of time here. No, I don't have any questions <laughs> personally. <clears throat> now, you went into a little bit more stuff than the last time we talked about this, which is awesome because that helps me understand a little bit better. But no, I'm good for now. I just think, I'm me? just with you. You've got hot takes, man. You can come on here and be like, Jaden Daniels, I would take him over everybody. And now, it, hey, you might be right, bro. <laughs> Looking at, I was surprised. I, I've got so used to over the years of where I had so many bad predictions of just when I make a prediction, I'm like, ah, it's probably ah, going to be wrong. Yeah, and be then wrong. as I, as as I've gotten more and more knowledgeable on these topics and, and improved, it's like, okay, Daniel's up at six already. I didn't expect that to happen that quickly. <laughs> um, you know, I did I I didn't think it was going to happen at all to to get up to where he's being put over Drake May and Caleb Williams and some of these mock drafts. So yeah. uh, we will see soon enough if it resolves more in my favor or what. But it definitely is tipping that way. That's going to do it. Shane, get us out of here. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.